You're listening to the Lux Lounge Podcast. The official podcast of Urban Lux Real Estate. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Dave. Well, good morning, Dave. Hey, good morning, Joe. This is our first uh, episode of, uh, I guess, part one, episode one. There you go. (laughs) Of our podcast. Uh, This podcast is going to be about uh, real estate current market in Phoenix, Arizona, and just uh, kind of best practices, some good stories. Uh, we just want to keep it fun and funny, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy. You want to pass that coffee over here? Anyone out there knows me, uh, I do not do anything well in the morning without coffee. Uh, it's a Monday morning, all of you guys, I think you're going to hear this the last of the week, uh, and it is, uh, I guess, GameStop Monday. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so the entire market is crazy about real or, uh, the uh, stock market right now, um, but we're going to dive deep into real estate uh, we're going to start this with what the market's doing, um, kind of what you'd want to know if you're a homeowner or an investor, that type of stuff. But we're going to have fun with it, and it's going to be very timely. So everything in real estate is kind of a light switch on or off, uh, and so the stuff we're going to talk about works this week. It may not work next week, so it's a reason to listen to us every uh, podcast. Uh, Dave, what are you seeing out there right now? Uh, right now, uh, we keep, you know, the one stat that keeps coming up is uh, inventory. So currently 2,700 homes, single family homes in Maricopa County. Uh, that's crazy low. It's the lowest it's ever been. Yeah, and the funny thing is a thousand of them, a third of them are over a million dollars. Yeah, 1,900 of them are under a million dollars. That's crazy. Uh, I'm an old school real estate, 23 years, and a million dollar home was rare in Arizona when I got into it. Uh, and now it's a third of the market. Um, so, uh, it's not unheard of when you hear somebody buys a million dollar plus home, that's kind of a third of us. Yeah. And even if you start going on the higher ends of the, you know, four or $5 million houses, a lot of these specs that are getting built in paradise Valley and Arcadia are getting sold before they ever hit the market. So I guess you do need like that 300% run up in your stock just to buy a house now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, and the hard thing is, is getting a home. So we're going to talk about that, um, and kind of how we got here. So I'm going to kind of jump into the, how we got to this crazy low inventory number. And just so you guys know, I feel comfortable at about 12,000 single family homes or more on the market. Uh, anytime we get under 9,000, I get a little bit worried about the market and now we're under 3,000. Right. It's, so, you know, it's got, got a lot of realtors <clears throat> in the, in the Valley nervous about, you know, they're going to be able to sell anything this year. Yeah, I mean, it's like you walk into your grocery store and you say, I want a loaf of bread. And they go, well, we have one stale rye bread from two days ago. And if you want it, you can buy it. And guess what? We're going to mark it up about twice. <laughs> <laughs> and you end up buying it, really, just because you're hungry. Um, but a couple of things that are different this time than when we had our boom. Because a lot of people think this is a boom like last time. During the boom, we actually had a lot of inventory. We had a lot of homes to sell. It just everyone wanted to buy all of them. So very different. Um, interest rates weren't driving the market. Um, we obviously didn't have COVID, uh, an election, a forbearance. All these things are going. We actually had a safety net or a safety valve last time, a couple of them, um, in our part of the market, which is Scottsdale, PV, you know, um, kind of the middle of Phoenix. Uh, we do work the outline areas also. But... All the way around right now, we have a couple things missing. One, we don't have new construction where we are on this part of town. Uh, so that was a safety valve before. If you couldn't find a home, you wouldn't have one built. Right now, if you want to do that, we're going to have to go to the outlying areas, either the far east valley or the far west valley. Uh, and the second thing was is we had bridge loans. We'll talk about that a little bit. But a bridge loan allowed you to purchase home first, even though you need to sell your house to qualify for that one. They let you buy first with this bridge loan in the middle. 
And then you sold your home. So you were able to say, okay, I waited, I waited. There's not much out there. Oh, a house popped up. I'm going to go buy it. And then I'll sell my home so I won't be homeless for a while. Situation right now without a lot of bridge loan ability uh, is you have to sell your home and hope a house pops up. So um, Dave, what are you seeing with your clients? Uh, So we've got, you know, a lot of people that have been wanting to sell for the last year. And I mean, we were going to list January of 2020 and then COVID hit. And then the challenge now is that they can't find anything to go buy. So without being homeless, and I know, Joe, you had this happen to you a couple months ago that their house is closing and they don't have anywhere to go. And yeah. so that's becoming the big the big challenge is how can you go get the house that you want to go buy? So you either have to upgrade significantly, be very hard to downsize. And with the average you know, medium price in Phoenix going up, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. And we'll put it into context. I mean, that house, uh, so good house in the 400s range, very far North Valley. Um, I had it open for two hours. Uh, two hours, I let all the buyers and their agents come through, kind of like an open house, so I wouldn't disturb my seller. Really fun way to sell a home. Then we had a bidding war over a two-hour showing window, uh, and we ended up at our price, and we got to negotiate our terms. But realistically, we're on the market for viewing just for two hours with probably about a day or two leeway on the MLS to build some activity, which is one of the things we do here at Urban Lux is try to get as much activity that first day as possible. Uh, but it's crazy to be a seller, two hours on the market, and multiple offers. So they literally went grocery shopping, came home, and sold their house. Gotta love it. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I know you have a really good remodel you just put on and sold that one. Yep. So these guys, uh, they took about a year to get the remodel done, did everything. Or new sewers, new electrical, new water lines, um, down to the studs inside. Came out beautiful. It's in the Royal Palm neighborhood, North Central Phoenix. And you know, we put that on, had 45 showings the first day, and got... Two offers over ask and ended up going and accepting one the first day. Well, they uh, waived appraisal. They, you know, they, for any buyer right now, you need to make sure that you're working with the right agent that's getting you the right offer that's going to get accepted. Let's talk about that really quick because everybody thinks, boy, your job's easy, Dave. You just got uh, all those showings, all those offers. Piece of cake, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's a lot to it. Just be, you know, We've had on another house that we just sold, we had multiple offers and we didn't take the highest one because we knew that they weren't going to end up being the highest one. Um, and the ones that were willing to waive appraisal, the relationships that we have with the other agents and that are being honest and saying, hey, these guys just, you know, this is what we're going to do. We want to buy the house. We're not worried about, you know, minor repairs. And then, you know, you get a smooth deal. Um, but it's really vetting the lenders and making sure that that bank is going to have the cash to the table when it's time to close. That the buyers aren't going to be, you know, picky about, you know, maybe one of the kitchen or the kitchen sinks leaking or, you know, a couple little minor repairs. They just want the house. So right now, it's not necessarily the best. If you want a deal, then you're not going to get the house. But if you want to just get the house, then your agent can make a very aggressive offer for you on that. And we'll talk about some of the things that pitfall. So when we're looking at offers as an agent, this is out. This is helpful for agents uh, and for sellers. If you are looking at multiple offers and you're vetting that buyer. Uh, We're going to be looking at things like talking their lender, making sure they can qualify. But we have over 40% of escrows falling apart right now. One of the big reasons is is people have buyer's remorse. Do you really love this home or you just want to grab one because it's the rye bread is the only thing left on the shelf uh, and you're grabbing it and then later on you realize you don't want it and you're going to back out during the inspection period? Or has that buyer made multiple offers on different homes and not disclosed that to us, which of course they're supposed to, but we're seeing that all over the place. So they're put, they're 
throwing lots of offers, lots of homes, not disclosing they're putting multiple offers out there. And then sure enough, they get a, an acceptance on a couple homes. And if you're the selling agent on that, you're representing that seller, it's news to you. Yeah. And the other flip side of that is if they've made <clears throat> offers on multiple homes and lost those homes, um, that's the buyer that you really want because they're just happy that they got their offer accepted and you, they're going to close because they know they don't want to go back to going up against everybody again. So let's stay on that seller side. A couple of things you're going to see uh, in competitive offers right now and what they mean to you. Let's talk about waiving the appraisal. So a couple of different ways you can do it. Um, I've got some clients that are putting down significant down payments and the bank's going ahead and waiving the appraisal anyways, um, just because they know based off you know loan to value that it's worth making that um making that loan on that property. And the other way is getting the appraisal done in the inspection period. And I know you've done that on a couple of recent ones, right, Joe? Yeah. So you want to uh, get a, a guarantee from that lender that that appraisal can be done and, and back to you within the 10 day inspection period. Um, now that's not the reason why you're canceling. You're canceling for you know an inspection reason, but you do want to have all that information before you make that decision. Because once you do submit that repair request, Kind of set in stone if the seller accepts it. Absolutely. Um, so we're seeing that escalation clauses are always tricky. Most people don't understand what those are. Do you want to go over escalation clauses? You know, we've started to use these again. Um, basically, what you can do is say, we are going to pay $5,000 more than your highest offer up to a certain point. Um, and that will give that listing agent to be able to come back to you and say, hey, here's my, you know, 52 offers and you guys said you'd go higher than the highest one and the highest one's X. So you, you guys are willing to pay five over X. And then they show you that offer. You say yes, and we get it all signed up and, and your buyer gets the deal. And of course, it could be any dollar amount. Now, the tricky thing is uh, if they do an escalation on the appraisal. So great to do that on the buy side. Uh, not so great if you're going to do it for your seller. Because um, what I think a lot of agents don't realize is once... Let's just say for easy math, we're doing a $500,000 house and the uh, buyer's putting 20% down and the house appraises for $475,000. So there's, the bank's only going to loan them 80% of $475,000. Now they've agreed to $500,000. So what's going to happen? Let's say they say, well, we're willing to pay five grand over appraised value. You've just told your seller that they're accepting a 480 offer, and there's no chance to, to counteract or renegotiate that appraisal because you've already agreed to it. On the buy side, it's a win because you've already agreed to pay five grand over the appraisal, so now you got the house for 480. Now, a smart listing agent is going to counter that, uh, make sure it's included that there's a floor to that option. Uh, so if the appraisal comes in to an unacceptably low level, the deal dies. Or it gets to get renegotiated. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so we're seeing uh, those type of things. Um, we're seeing the uh, earnest money going hard again. We haven't seen that in a long time. So, you want to go over earnest money being non-refundable? Yep. So, I think you know, and the thing is, you want to be reasonable. You know, if we're representing a seller, you know, everybody wants, you know, someone wants to sell a house, someone wants to buy it. We're just going to facilitate that to make sure it gets to the finish line. Um, but it's very difficult for sellers to obtain earnest money. Um, in just a traditional, you know, sale. So what we would like to do is let them do their inspections. We'll agree upon whatever repairs the seller is going to do or credits that they're going to give. And then we like to see that earnest money go hard as soon as those, as that contingency has been, you know, removed. Right. Um, yeah, I think we're kind of doing the trifecta now. So if you want to, let's turn this, let's say you're out there and you've missed a couple homes. Your agent has written a couple offers. You can't seem to get the house and you can't understand why. Um, 
you know, we own a brokerage. We, we coach a lot of realtors. We understand realtors don't want to push you towards uncomfortable uh, decisions within the contract, but they should at least be telling you these are their options and you might want to take these options if you really do want the home. Again, our job is to help you secure the home at terms that are acceptable to you, but a lot of agents are either unknowledgeable or hesitant to lead you down the path. But you might combine the trifecta of earnest money going hard, waiving the appraisal, maybe taking the house as is, um, maybe an escalation clause, add a fourth one on there. And the more of these options you add on, uh, the better your offer is going to look like to that agent. Hopefully they understand what you're writing in there. Uh, We didn't... um, talk about contingencies and contingencies are contingent upon usually selling my house. And there's different ways to do it. We see people right now doing the traditional contingency. My house is already in escrow. Um, I'd like to buy your house. It's contingent upon my house closing. A couple of things can be in there. Did it just go into escrow? Um, Is their house past the inspection period? Has it appraised? These are all things you need to know before you accept that offer or decide how good that contingency is. Or we're seeing contingencies right now of my house isn't even on the market yet, but I'd like to buy your home contingent upon my house selling. And that's that fear factor with sellers right now of, I don't have a bridge loan. I don't want to list my house or sell it and become homeless, but I do want to buy your house. So how do you look at those contingencies? If that's your scenario, I don't think you're going to get the house. Um, you're going to have to figure out a way to, to be able to buy because no no seller has to take that off right now. They're more than likely going to be able to get, you know, 10, 15 offers that aren't contingent. So on the buy side, you're going to have to really get creative and educate your client on what they're comfortable with so that you can write an offer that can possibly get them the house or work with a lender that maybe has, there are some bridge loans coming back that we've seen. Um, I do know like a lot of times for me, I've got investors that are always looking for a rental property. And so what I like to do is be able to pitch them that house and they'll just automatically lease it back to the to those sellers, and those sellers now be, can become buyers without a contingency. That's a great one. Yeah, having your seller sell their home but be able to stay in it while they're looking for a new home—fantastic option. We're starting to see that a little bit more now. Again, it's got to be kind of investor because if a lender finds out that a person who uses it for a primary residence does that, uh, might void their loan. Absolutely. You so know, these guys, anybody who's putting twenty percent down. Um, then at that point, the bank's not, you know, really looking to, they don't care whether it's leased out or becomes a primary at some point. Yeah. So uh, we do want to kind of juggle those. Um, let's talk about the personal touch. What are some crazy personal touches? I know that I like to write a letter, maybe submit a photo. Uh, maybe I have a client and I'll take a quick snapshot of them uh, before I submit that offer, send it in with my my offer to show that there's a personal touch to that. Uh a lot of people out there don't understand, but some agents are just submitting offers and just email them to the agents, maybe text them, hey, I sent you an offer. And that's all we know about that buyer. We don't have any kind of personal touch or story to associate with it. I've been in the business 23 years. I used to actually have to present my buyer's offer to the seller at their kitchen table and face them on behalf of my buyer uh, or get everybody on the same table to negotiate the deal. That, that was pretty common 23 years ago. Now, however, uh, boy, somebody will just text you an offer. Um, what do you do a little different to help your buyer get that house? So I always do a cover letter um, on behalf of the buyer with a nice picture if it's a family or a young couple. There even in certain scenarios with they're just been dating or a guy's single, but his girlfriend's been a while, maybe they're engaged. Um, we want to really, I think the difference is once you start putting numbers in front of somebody and you put people behind those numbers, it changes changes the seller's opinion on what you know who they want to sell the house to, especially if they raise their family there. So one thing I also have been hearing about is videos coming from the buyers 
to present with the offer saying like, Hey, we love your house. And they're showing around like our, our cousins live right down the street. Like we have to move here. Please sell us this house. And that's really cool. I mean, you know, for that seller, of course he wants that. Like, Hey, let's put these cousins, you know, down the street from each other, or let's get these kids in the school district. I, my kids went to this school. So anything you can do to, to just personalize the numbers and it's not going to work every time because we also know that some people are just about the numbers and <laughs> they're not going to care. But if you don't do that and you had the opportunity, then your agent missed out on getting you the house. Yeah. We had one uh, last week where, uh, the, we had our buyer drive with the family in front of the house they made an offer on, told the seller to look out the window, and they were waving from the window like, that's the family that wants to live in your home. And that got them the house because these people had raised their children there. People usually want to sell a home to someone who's going to use the house in the same uh, facet they did. Uh, typically, a person who raised their kids there isn't going to want to sell to an investor of first choice. Uh, even if it's a cash offer, they'd rather roll the dice, maybe even take a contingency if they can sell to somebody who's going to raise kids there like they did. Um, maybe they had dogs, but all those type of things really help in the offer. It's kind of a fun part of our job, trying to figure out what that little trigger is. Uh, but having somebody drive in front of the house and wave is is a new one. Uh, but you got to do anything you can right now. It's it's kind of cutthroat out there. Absolutely. And I know, you know, when we're on the listing <laughs> side, we always appreciate the agent that's coming with the most information. And, you know, that way we can um, have a good relationship. We know that working relationship with that agent's going to be good going through that whole transaction. Yeah. And so it's really important that your agent doesn't just send the offer over and never calls the listing agent and says, oh, we missed out on another one. You got to really get involved and get get in the thick of it. Yeah. And the public thinks that uh, all realtors are the same. And they do. They just think, uh, you know, it's like a used car salesman. I walk on a lot. Somebody's going to help me look at that car. Uh, I find a realtor in an open house. He's going to help me look for homes. Um, not true. And unfortunately, a lot of agents are buying into that lately too. Uh, they're getting their real estate licenses online. They never meet a client. Um, they think they can do everything from their phone. Uh, it's a contact business and you really want to try to make as much contact with the other side as possible. Uh, so it's a lot uh, different. I know what, every time I get an offer from an agent, I look them up. I see what kind of track history they have. I have a conversation with them. I want to make sure this is somebody who's knowledgeable enough to get me to the finish line and close that escrow. And if I don't have that comfort level, it's really going to adjust the way I present that offer to my client. Absolutely. You have to. It's what a true professional would do. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, we don't see it all the time. Uh, but uh, we really try to, here at Urban Lux, really try to push for that agent. I'm not saying ours are the only ones that do it, but ours do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other thing I want to talk about was one of the other reasons why we're really short of properties forbearance. Um, right now, because of COVID, we are getting a lot of people still who are not having to make their mortgage payments. Um not having to make their rent payments. And what this is doing is it's really messing with the economy. I've got an economic background. And normally if people are out of work, short of work, whatnot, um, and they have a home they can't afford, they're going to sell their home. And right now, everybody's kind of got equity. So they're not going to go into foreclosure. They're just going to sell their house, uh, take that equity out, maybe go into rental or, or downsize. Um, and that forbearance looks like it's going to get extended again. I believe um, it did. Yeah. So, uh, we're going to see people who really can't afford to move because they're living for free in the house they're in. So why would they realistically is saying, yeah, I've been out of work for a while because of COVID or I'm short of work. Maybe I'm working the hospitality industry and I'm only not getting the hours I want. Uh, but because of that, uh, the forbearance or COVID relief, I don't have to pay that rent. I don't have to pay that mortgage. Um, what are you foreseeing when that forbearance stops both for the rental portion and for the mortgage portion? 
Well, I think uh, you know the investors that are having a lot of rental properties are also going to be behind on their payments because their tenants aren't paying in. There's going to be a certain time period where those tenants are going to owe and estimate a lot of court cases and stuff like that happening. But um, it'll pro- hopefully give us some inventory. I don't think anyone's going to foreclose this time around because everybody's got equity. So it's just a matter of if they're going to sell, that loan will get caught up, then they can take out the, the balance of that equity. You know, hopefully they didn't... Uh, well, if they were lucky, maybe they put it all in GameStop when they weren't paying there. <laughs> <laughs> and we have seen it. I've been getting the stories. Um, uh, but, but it's interesting. I think it's going to be the biggest thing that gets us our inventory back up. But, you know, again, it always, the challenge comes to if you want to sell, where are you going to go? Yeah, and I, th- I think that's the biggest question we have right now. Um, so, you know, we're getting stories from our sellers saying, you know, it's been about six months and I haven't found a house yet. And they're questioning, you know, is it the realtor? Is it, is it, well, not obviously you can go right on to Zillow and you can look uh, if you're a home buyer. Uh, Zillow's a pretty good site. We, it's a love hate relationship realtors have with it um, because a lot of things are on there um, that are pending. And that's unfortunately the way they have to do it. I mean, if either it's active to them or it's closed. Uh, so I understand their reasoning. Uh, but if you look on there, you're going to see the low inventory and people get a little frustrated. Now I look back during the boom and I wonder, Wow, during the boom, if somebody told me to sell my house high and go rent for a little while and catch it back on a lower price, maybe I would have done that uh, if I had the, the foresight. But rental prices are up. Rental prices are crazy right now. Um, so we also manage you know, uh, about 15 short-term rentals and another dozen or so long-term rentals. And I will say right now, the amount of people coming from San Francisco, Chicago, New York to rent out here for just a couple of months. I mean, right. We're, we're getting $12,000 a month for some of these houses in old town, Scottsdale. Um, we're actually paying less in Newport beach next summer than people are paying in Scottsdale right now. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Uh, we are a destination for sure. Now, if we look outside of our window, we're in old town, Scottsdale and we're seeing people jogging with their dogs and, and, you know, filling up the streets again. I mean, people love Phoenix and Scottsdale because we're open. Yeah, no, it's it's been great, and I think um, the VRBO market is not going anywhere. I think the challenge of what you're we're seeing went back in the boom. Our demand isn't going anywhere either. So you know, when you had a bunch of you know, I know you were doing a lot of short sales back then, um, but with the demand that we have, and not even it's really more supply and demand than it's going to be, you know, foreclosures and all that stuff. If there was supply out there, how many buyers do you think you could put in escrow this week? At least fifteen. <laughs> I've got about twenty three. So that's 23 people who I wake up early for every day, think about them every night before I go to bed and try to find them a home. Um, A lot of them, about 16 of my 23 are tied to a house they have to sell. So they won't put those houses on the market because they can't find anything to buy, which just, again, creates more of a problem. Absolutely. Uh, And those will be gone once we put them on. And there's a new thing out there called coming soon. So uh, make sure your agent, if you're a buyer is, or if you're a realtor, make sure you're really scouring that coming soon because we're seeing a good percentage of homes never hit the active market. They're sold while they're still in that coming soon status, which is kind of a new thing for us, kind of a limbo between not ready yet or on the market. It's out there. There's photos of it. There's a price on it, but you really aren't supposed to be able to buy it yet. Yeah, it's been kind of a fun thing to navigate to, you know, in terms of getting people interested. And what we like to do is try to, like you did, maybe open it up for two hours, get everybody there at the same time, and then, you know, count the offers and see who came in highest. Nothing creates a bidding war like 10 different people in the house all want in the house at the same time. Yeah, especially when we have 2,700 homes for sale. If you're, if you're out there looking for homes right now, you can expect to wait in line to get in that first couple of days because there'll be three or four other parties in there. And hopefully you don't get that sneaky agent that steals the key. 
(laughs) (laughs) I know you've been there before, Joe. (laughs) Well, I haven't taken the key. I might have misplaced it briefly. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you got to do what you got to do for your buyers right now. And, And again, for your sellers... Um, I really just want to tell the public, make sure you know who your realtor is, uh, make sure they've navigated through this before, uh, and you feel like you're in good hands, uh, because it is a minefield out there. Um, you can easily get in escrow with the wrong buyer, no matter how nice they are, no matter how pretty their family is when they're driving by the, and telling you to look out the window, um, you got to really keep it to brass tacks and make sure you get somebody who's going to close escrow for you. Uh, because with these dominoes, and that's really what they are, uh, when you have contingencies layering on top of other contingencies, I've got to sell my house to buy your house. And by the way, my buyer's got to sell their house to buy your house, my house, and their buyer's got to sell another house. One of those falls apart, they all fall apart. So uh, make sure you're in good hands with someone you trust that's going to hold your hand through the process and maybe take some of the emotion out of it. Yeah. yeah and understand that everything happens. I'll say everything happens for the reason when it's time to buy a house. So I was buying my very first house and the house I missed out on ended up getting something else that worked out really, really well for me. So, but make sure you're working with the right person and that you've got somebody being real aggressive on your behalf. Well, this was fun. Uh, our first podcast, the this was kind of brass tacks about the market. Um, we're going to get in some different stuff in episode number two. So please look forward to that. And guys, thank you for listening. Uh, Appreciate it. Fun. Have a happy week. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Lux Lounge podcast, the official podcast of Urban Lux Real Estate located in Old Town, Scottsdale, Arizona. If you'd like to support the show, please give us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice, follow the show on Instagram, or subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you have questions for Joe and Dave, feel free to write in to luxloungepod at gmail.com. We may talk about your question on the show. If you would like to learn more about Urban Lux Real Estate, please visit our website, urbanluxre.com for more information. This podcast was produced by T-Door Productions. Intro music by Doug Maxwell. Outro music by Track Tribe.